Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. A lot to unpack this morning. Some deep waters. Uh, but it's helpful for us to remember who's writing the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written by a pastor. It was a sermon that he gave as he looked over his body, the body of Christ before him, and he began to shepherd and guide them to life that's found solely in Christ. And so like any good mentor or coach or teacher or parent, anyone who's instructed to kind of build up those around need to do three things really well. First, they need to be inspirational. Right? They need to cast vision of what could be in the future. But then they need to be instructive. How do you go from where you're at to where you need to go? And as they look across people that they're wanting to build up and train up and see potential in them and life in them, and they begin to see them to drift or become lazy, they need to increase the intensity level in them so that they can rebuke, sharpen, even warn them. And a good coach, a good leader, a good shepherd, a good pastor does that, not for their own benefit, but rather because he deeply loves the people before him. And he wants them to have life and life abundantly. And so here's the reality. That's the pastor who wrote the book of Hebrews. He's looking across his audience and what he is seeing is individuals in which he declares before them, hey, this inspirational reality that Jesus is better. He's better than anything that's ever happened, anything that ever will happen, and it's worth your entire life to follow him. And so he's been inspirational, but he's also been instructive. How do you go from where you're at in your journey with Jesus to where God wants you to be? But as he looks across his audience, he begins to see that they're becoming bored, dull, immature, and they're not progressing in their walk with Jesus. And so he wretches up the intensity level. And several times, five times throughout the book of Hebrews, he's gonna pause and he's gonna warn them because he sees before them life and death. And he so earnestly wants them to choose life that whenever he inspires, whenever he instructs, he also has to be intense because he knows the cost of non-discipleship. And so if you've been journeying with us as we've been going through Hebrews, we've been weaving in and out of this inspirational moments, this instructive moments, but also some intense moments in which he will look you in the eye. After lifting your eyes to see the beauties of Jesus, he'll look you in the eye and declare, don't drift away from him. Draw near to him because he's better. He desires of us something greater. So he inspires, he instructs, but also he gets intense because he wants us as individuals, but us collectively to become all we were meant to be in Christ. And so this morning, he's gonna ratchet up the intensity a bit. And we're in the third warning passage in Hebrews. If you've been journeying with us, you've seen that Hebrews has these different warning passages. The first warning passage was found in Hebrews 2, one through four, talking about not drifting away from the gospel. But then the second warning passage is talking about not disbelieving the gospel. And where we're at today is now not growing dull towards the gospel. And if you see these, all of these build on each other, right? That as you begin to drift away from the gospel, you become disbelieving in the gospel, that you begin to disbelieve the goodnesses of God, the promises of God, the provision of God, and then all of a sudden you become dull towards God. These are movements together collectively. And what we're gonna look at this morning is those that have become dull towards the gospel. 
not progressing in maturity towards Christ, but living in an immature, stalled out faith. And as we move through this passage in Hebrews 5 through 6, we're gonna see these four main movements. We're gonna see the condition of the hearers that were in the audience of the original listeners of Hebrews and that are in this audience as well. But then we're gonna see that for all of us, there's a call for maturity. And then he's gonna wretched up the intensity by talking about the consequence for immaturity. But he's gonna end this warning with a hope, a conviction of something better. The pastor here is gonna lean in, but not to tear down, but to build up so that we all become individually and yes, us as a community, all we were meant to be in Christ. So the first thing we're gonna see is the condition of the hearers. The passage begins by saying this, about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This passage begins by saying, look, there's so much more I wanna talk about. There's so much more beauty, so much more depth, so much more substance about who Jesus is and what he's done. There's so much amazing things found in God's word from the Old Testament that's shining a light towards the person of Jesus, but I can't tell you about it. Because you've become dull of hearing, you've become immature. You've stalled out in your faith. He's saying there's so much more, but you're limited because you're not pressing in to full maturity in Christ. What we see here is a group of people that's not new in the faith, but rather people that have been so-called walking with Jesus for years, but they've stalled out in their faith. And so they've been walking in a willful, willful immaturity. And what we see in this passage here is four different indicators of what it would look like for them, but what it might look like for us who might be drifting, becoming dull to the gospel and moving towards a willful immaturity. We see four things. The first thing we see is a boredom with God's word, that you become dull of hearing. One of the first signs that you're beginning to drift or become dull towards the gospel is that you become bored. Bored with God, bored with church, bored with the Bible, bored with community, bored with spiritual activities, you become bored. And from that boredom comes an inability to share God's word. If you're not learning it, then of course you're not gonna share it. It says, for by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. They became bored with God's word and then they've stopped sharing God's word. And when we fail to pass on what we know, we lose what we know. So we stop growing, we start shrinking. Nobody stays neutral in their walk. We don't simply stay the same, we drift backwards. And when that happens, when we stop sharing God's word, all of a sudden we just stay at this elementary understanding of God's word. Hey, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he himself is a child. Since we're not learning God's word, since we're not sharing God's word, we all of a sudden become spiritually stunted. We become spiritual infants, not progressing into maturity in Christ. And that's not just because of this intellectual idea, this, I, this information that's coming in. It's not about learning more or having more information. It's about applying that to your life. That's why he ends by saying, you have a failure to apply God's word. That solid food is for the mature. It's for those that have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. 
that you may have all the information of the world. You might have your PhD in Bible, but all the information of the world doesn't stir the human heart and all of that doesn't produce an application in your life. And so right here are these four signs of willful immaturity. How you doing? Where are you at with this? Because the reality of it is, he's so concerned with his people, not just that they would stall out, but it's because they're missing out on all the treasures that is Christ, who you were made for. So you look at this passage and like many of us have been drinking from the bottles of spirituality. Like right now, it is a good and right thing for like an infant or a toddler to be drinking from a bottle. It would be weird and off-putting if I did, that would like get that mental image out of your, I'm sorry for putting it in your head, but it's weird, right? Why? Because milk is pre-digestive food. And so what happens when an infant is born is the mother, someone who deeply loves this infant, takes in food herself and then takes it in. It becomes a part of her. She digests it and then it comes out of her to feed this infant, It's pre-digestive food. And if you're like new to Christ or have just accepted Christ, like that's normal for you on a spiritual level. But what this passage is saying is if you stay there in which all you're doing is waiting for somebody else to kind of take God's word in, digest it themselves, wrestle through it themselves and then present to you what they've discovered, then you're an infant. Because solid food is for the mature, someone who would take the word of God and feast upon it themselves, chew on it themselves, wrestle with it themselves, and let it become a part of them, that they would live it out. That's why we do the reading plan, that we believe the best teacher here at City Bridge is when you sit before the word of God and the spirit of God that's within you teaches you the word of God. And so these right here are just these signs of spiritual immaturity. And so the challenge for us actually comes directly from this passage. It says that the individuals that are growing in their walk with Christ are people who have been trained by constant practice. Trained by constant practice. A person becomes mature in Christ, not by gaining more information, but by applying it to their lives. And so what would it look like if you took one thing, one thing each week that you maybe learned here or at women's Bible study or men's Bible study or college young adults or students or kids or just your time in the word and you intentionally began began to put that into practice into your life. Like for me this last week, I was just reading through the Sermon on the Mount and it has it in there. Hey, why be anxious about anything? Hey, your father in heaven takes care of everything. And so me that struggles with anxiety, I just kept reminding myself throughout the day, man, my God in heaven is taking care of everything so I don't have to be anxious. I can walk in a freedom, not of fear. I read the book of Daniel this week and it has in there just an overwhelming emphasis of the sovereignty of God over human affairs. And then I went and voted with a confidence and a trust that my hero is not gonna be someone that's elected into office. My hero is my God and my king who sits sovereign over all. And I could walk in peace, fulfill my civic duty, yes, but walk in peace knowing that there's a king who's over it all. 
So what would it look like for you? Wherever you're at in your journey, the call for us is to progress into maturity by constant training, by constant practice. This is a moment by moment, day by day, leaning into the Lord and walking by his word. Because the call for all of us is a call for maturity, to progress. It says in verse six, chapter six, verse one, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So the command here is clear, to move from elementary to maturity. Now it says the elementary doctrines of Christ. Does that mean that when you accept Christ, you're kind of on JV and you gotta move beyond Christ to kind of get to varsity? No, that word elementary there literally is the word beginnings. It's the introductions to Christ. And what we're called to do as we press on to maturity is we take this elementary, this beginning doctrines of Christ and we build upon it. And so many of us still act like we're in first grade, even though we've been walking with Jesus for years. And we're meant to build on that, what we've learned. And what the passage does here is it identifies these six different areas in which the early Hebrew community built their foundation on. It says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith of God and instruction about washing the hands and laying on the hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. What's all that about? Well, those were elementary ideas that fell into three distinct categories. Their relationship with God, they, they had this foundation, this basic understanding of that, and they were supposed to move on to maturity. They had an understanding of their role within the Christian community and they were meant to move on to maturity. They had a realization of eternal life and the impact that that has on today. And they were meant to build on that and move on to maturity. That's what we're called to do, that we enter into the Christian life by grace through faith, but we continue on in the Christian life by grace through faith as we cling to Christ and are dependent upon him. This is not about white knuckling it to become mature, but rather the passage says that this will happen, this will happen if God permits it. This is about a dependency on God, not go do better, but have a humble dependence on the one that wants to work in you and work through you to will and to work as you go from an infant to someone who's more and more mature in Christ as you progress in your walk with Jesus. That's the call. And so I asked our community shepherds this week, I just said to them, hey, as you're in, engaging in a different community groups here at City Bridge, what are you seeing? What are you seeing in the realms of people that you go, okay, as best as I can tell, they're immature. And others, hey, the best as I can tell, they're mature. What, what are you seeing differently mark their life and their relationship with the Lord and their role with the Christian community and the realization of the future reality of heaven with Jesus and now that impacts today? What are you seeing? And this is what they said. So take a moment and look at this like a mirror. You see what they said was there's certain things that marked certain individuals and I would classify that as immature. And there's other things that classify someone who I would say is mature or pressing into maturity. And what's interesting is everyone that was immature had some level of a self-focus. Hey, this is about me, my wants, my agenda, my claims. And everyone who was mature had this like Christ focus and other people's focus with their relationship with God, with their role within the Christian community, but then also the realization of what's happening and how the eternity impacts today. And so which side are you on? Because here's reality. 
I got this list this week and my first thought was, man, am I mature? <laughs> like all these things begin to pop up and I begin to realize something. I go, look, at any moment of any day, I can move towards this side. I can walk in a way, talk in a way, interact with people in a way. I can think certain things that are markers, not of someone who is maturing in Christ, but someone who is walking in immaturity. That is called walking in the flesh. And so I'm susceptible at any moment of any day to drift back. And yet the question is not, do we have little moments in our life in which we operate in immaturity, but rather are we progressing? Which one more categorizes your life? Which one more identifies you? What would your community group say? What would your spouse say? What would your roommate say? What would your friends say that really marks your life? Immaturity or maturity. This is a moment by moment battle. It's a progression from milk to meat, from immaturity to maturity. And this should be the normal activity for a believer because the consequence for not maturing is destructive and it's dangerous for you and for everyone around you. And that's where the passage goes next. There's this condition of our hearts, but there's this call for all of us to progress into maturity, and yet there's a consequence when we stay put. There's a consequence for immaturity. The passage says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age have come, and then to have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. That all clear? We good, can I just move on? Okay, full disclosure. In my opinion, this is the most complicated passage in your Bible, okay? So before we dive into this, I wanna show you something that I do whenever I come to complicated passages. We've talked about kind of Bible study 101 in this series. This is Bible study 201, all right? We're stacking on the weight. Let's go from immaturity to maturity, even in this moment, all right? So first thing, Bible study 201, hard passages. What do you do? You first consider. One of the things I do is the first thing I do is I think, okay, if this is the only part of the Bible, if this is all we have, it's not, but if this is all we have in the Bible, then what are the possible interpretations for this passage? And so what you see in here is there's three that we're gonna list. There are seven out there. So just pulling it back to three, three main ones. And so this passage could be talking about someone who has a saving faith, but loses their salvation. Someone who has a said faith, not a saving faith, think like a Judas, or someone who does have a saving faith, but they're unable to repent. And so first I just list off all the possible realities, interpretations that could be if this is all there was in their Bible. Good news is this is not all there is in the Bible. So the next thing I do is I look at the context. What's the greater thing that the author has been communicating? And no matter what camp you ultimately fall in within this passage, everyone agrees that the main thing it's communicating is that it's believers pressing on to maturity. That's what he's driving after. So I hold that in my mind. From there, I look at cross-references. Man, one of the camps lands in a camp that says this person could be saved and could have lose their salvation. Well, this is a complicated passage. And so what you wanna do is let scripture interpret scripture. And as you do that, you go to clear passages to help you with confusing passages. 
And the Bible is overwhelmingly clear that whenever you have come to trust in Christ, you are kept secure in Christ. Romans 8.30, that those who have been justified will also be glorified. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Ephesians 1.13, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Those are three of dozens of passages that communicate that once you've come to trust in Christ, you are kept secure in Christ. So you look at cross-references. Then you look at commentaries and church community that you're not meant to do this alone. And so you grab good resources and books and you talk to different trusted church community Christians in here. And here's the reality. I did that this week. And in terms of commentaries, everyone lands in a different camp. So that's fun. But I don't teach alone. We have a teaching team here. And we've been wrestling with the book of Hebrews for months now. And so we've had a lot of conversations. And so as we've been wrestling through as a community, we have all landed in the same camp, which is what we're gonna talk about in a bit. But you get outside yourself, talk about commentaries and Christian communities. And then from there, you go back to your original list and you cut down. You take everything that you just learned and thought through and researched. And all of a sudden you go, okay, is this talking about a person that has a saving faith, but loses their salvation? Well, according to all the cross-references about how you're secure in Christ once you're saved, it can't be that. Well, what about a person that has a said faith, but not a saving faith? Well, someone like a Judas who kind of was running with the boys for a while, but then all of a sudden it turned out he, he was never saved. Well, the whole point of this whole passage is talking to believers and encouraging believers to press on to maturity. So humbly, I don't think it's talking about that. And so what you're left with is a saving faith, but someone who is unable to repent. And before you move on, the last thing you do is just cultivate humility. Because there's a lot of smart people that land in different camps than say I do. And you wanna cultivate a heart of humility knowing that in terms of this, this is a family conversation and we can disagree But what's so great about every single thing I read this week is every single person lands in the same camp of what they're trying to communicate, which is a call to spiritual maturity. So if you have that headline, we might disagree about the weeds, but we got the big picture locked in. So with all that being said, let's now look at our passage once again through that lens. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age of come and then to have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding them up in contempt. The very first thing that this passage is gonna do is list off these five moments, these five actions, these five activities. And if you take them individually or if you take them collectively, they are all pointing, in my opinion, in our opinion, to someone who has had a salvation experience, someone who has been saved. As you look throughout the rest of scripture, these individual five and all of them together keep pointing towards somebody who is saved. And so now you have to wrestle with, then what in the world does it mean that they fell away? Because if you just land here, and one of the early things that a lot of new believers struggle with is, look, I trusted in Christ, but then this fear kind of begins to crop up in them. Hey, can I lose my salvation? And we've just looked at a bunch of other cross-references that are telling us, no, you cannot. But even before that, this right here, what does it mean that someone who is a believer, but then has fallen away, what could that possibly mean? Well, good news, 
the author of Hebrews just finished talking about this. This is one sermon. And like for us, it's been a few weeks back, but for him, like five minutes earlier, he used the exact same word. Talking to brothers, believers, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And as we walk through that passage, what we saw was he was using this, referring backwards to this story of the Old Testament when God's people were saved out of Egypt and said, hey, I want you to go into a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey so that you can experience everything I want from you, all that life has for you. I want you to enjoy me and enjoy walking with me, but instead they persisted in unbelief. You read through the book of Numbers over and over and over again. It says, and then they didn't believe, and then they didn't believe, and they didn't believe. And at a certain point, God goes, then I'm gonna give you what you want. I've saved you out of Egypt. And now you are destined to live a life wandering around in the wilderness, questioning whether or not I'm really good. And the pastor is saying, God wants more for you than to spend your life falling away from the grace and the kindness and the care of a living God who wants to freely give you life and life abundant. But it's possible. So to fall away can't mean that you lose your salvation. Otherwise, Moses would be saved because Moses didn't believe and Moses didn't go into the promised land. But rather someone who is saved, but is not persisting in belief and therefore loses out on the fullness of life for them now and the rewards of the future. So that person, for that person who persists in that unbelief, continuously rejecting the promises of God, for that person, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Notice it doesn't say restore them to salvation. This is not talking about restoring someone from salvation. This is about repentance. That God has pledged to fully pardon, fully forgive anyone who truly repents. But this passage is telling us that it is possible for someone who has trusted in Christ to so persist in their sin and their rejection of God's goodness and promises that they become what some people call callous. Their hearts become hardened. They keep refusing to grow and so they have become stunted in their growth. And over time, because they haven't pressed on to maturity, but because they've lived in persistent sin, ignoring God, we begin to hold God up to contempt and the sacrifices of Christ we make a mockery of. And so the best way I can kind of illustrate this may be a way that only a parent would think about, but this is Plato. And this illustration is brought to you in part by my toddler, who was the inspiration of it all. Uh, he loves Plato, he loves playing with it. And what is Plato? It is meant to be taken and played with, to be molded, to be shaped in the hands of its owner, to be crafted and to make, take it to where what it is and make it to where the master, the owner, the one who owns it, creates something new. 
and anything goes with Plato, except for one thing. You better not leave it out. Because parents, what happens when you leave Plato out? That's right. It dries, it hardens. Come to my house, you will see that reality. How long do you think it takes for Plato to harden? One day, not a lot of grace with Plato. And so I made something a few days ago. And yet this was not abiding and remaining where it should be, but it has become hardened. It has not been shaped and molded in the hands of its owner. And so over time, what do you think has happened to it? After a single day, cracks started to show. And over just a couple of days, it became hard. You see, I own both of these. I bought it, I got the receipt, they're mine. But one that has been abiding and remaining where it should be can continue to be molded. And then the other one begins to crack. And over time, those cracks lead to chaos. And that chaos begins to crumble the person's life. And the hardening of their hearts becomes hurts to themselves and other people. And this is a silly illustration to illustrate something very serious. Because some of us have been impacted by people who are just like this, who called themselves Christian, but then have so separated themselves from the goodness and grace of God that over time they became callous, they became hard, and their hardness began to hurt you. My first pastor fell because of sexual sin with a minor. And when he was caught, what he said was, it all began when I stopped walking deeply with Jesus. And if you're in here right now and you're going, man, is this me? Let me tell you, if you have a spark going on in you right now, if you have something willowing up going, man, I don't want this in my life, I want to return back to the living God, then there is still hope for you. The passage earlier said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he was talking to believers. But the passage is also clear that this right here is possible for any of us, myself included. We move throughout this life and the goal of the Christian life is to keep pressing on to maturity in Christ. Because when we don't, it's dangerous, it's destructive, it hurts you when you harden yourself. It hurts others when you harden yourself. When you don't put your life in the hands of your maker to mold you, to craft you into who he wants you to be. So this passage is very clear. It is possible for the believer, but it shouldn't be what's normal for the believer. That's why the passage continues by saying, for the land that has drunk the rain that has fallen on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated, is crafted, who's molded, receives a blessing from God. That the normal activity of the believer is someone who takes the word of God like rain falls upon the soil of this earth, but takes the word of God that comes down of heaven and hits the soil of your heart. And as it hits it, it begins to cultivate and mold as you read it, as you respond to it, as you live it out and put it into constant 
training and practice in your life. And when that happens, you become a blessing to others because you have been blessed by God to know him and to walk with him. That should be normal for the believer, but it's not guaranteed. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. That if you don't take the word of God that God has given to you, you reject it persistently, ignoring him, ignoring his word, living in unrepentant sin, unconfessed sin. And it says that over time, there comes a moment in which God will give you exactly what you want and you will become hardened and you will be stunted in growth. You will not progress to the fullness of what God has for you, but rather you'll become worthless and not cursed, but near to it. And it says that its end is to be burned That's not talking about hell. A farmer, when he owned a land, when it was so taken over by weeds, there was only one thing that he was left to do, to set it on fire, to burn it, because it was worthless, because it stopped producing what it was supposed to produce. And the passage is saying that could be any of us. He's leaned in. He's operated in a level of intensity for us, but it's not because he's upset. It's because he loves us. He's inspiring, he's instructive. And even here when the pastor is being intense, it's out of a deep love because he is convicted that there is something better for all of us. A deep understanding and a life marked by an intimacy with Christ. That's why the passage ends by saying this, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, loved ones, This is the only time in the epistle that this is used. He wants to remind you how much you're loved, how much you're cared for. We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. This passage began with there's so much more. There's so much more. And it ends with, and I think there's something better for you. Something better than just stunting your growth. Something better than just drinking milk all of your days. Something better than constantly denying the goodness of God. There's something better. And it's the things that belong to salvation. That God has given us this tremendous gift. And if you've ever given someone a gift that has like a bunch of gifts in it, they open it and they look at the first one and they get so excited. And then what do you say? Hey, there's something more. There's something more in there. So City Bridge, keep digging because there's something more for us. What is that something more? The passage ends by saying, for God is not so unjust to overlook the work and the love that you have shown in his name and serving the saints as you still do. That what's more is that God wants to reward you. He's not unjust. He sees the work that you've done and the love that you've shown other people and he wants to celebrate that. He wants to reward that as you move through this life with an assurance of hope until the end, that as you move through this life, looking at the end and the rewards that God wants to give you, he wants you to go, as you do that, I want you to have an assured hope right here, right now. As you get after it, as you don't be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, that I want you to faithfully get after it with the Lord. 
What's interesting is the first verse in this passage and the last verse have the same word in it. It's that word sluggish that we see at the end. Dull of hearing and sluggish are the same word and it's the Greek word for lazy. He begins by saying, hey guys, some of you have been lazy. You've been lazy with your walk with the world. You've been lazy with your walk with the Lord. You've been lazy with how you're pursuing one another relationally. You've been lazy with community. You've been lazy with your understanding of how the future reality with Christ are impacting today. You have been lazy, but there's something better for you. So don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. But move in a direction in which you continuously grow in that maturity in Christ because there's something better. There's something better. Some of you, City Bridge, have been getting after it. The journey is not done yet. And a faithful start does not equate a faithful finish. And any one of us is susceptible to drifting, to disbelieving, to growing dull. So if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, keep moving. And some of us need to repent before it's too late because we have been lazy. We have been lazy. There's something more, and God wants that for you. So let's press into him, because he's better. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.